Well, good morning. Thank you. I've been thinking a lot this week uh, about the, the idea, the fact that waiting is not easy. And here we are. It's the final Sunday, the final day of January, the fifth Sunday, and we've been waiting in this series on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I learned a little something about how waiting is not easy from the great 21st century influencers, Elephant and Piggy. Any, any readers, kids out there, these Mo Willem books? Waiting is not easy, is it, right? Whether you're waiting for a surprise present from a friend like Gerald waited for Piggy here to see the night sky. Um, or in our house, I'll tell you, my husband, Chris, he's an avid gardener. And uh, he had a birthday last week, and he got some um, new gardening supplies. So here he is. He's cataloging seeds in this new container with Phoebe. And yeah, you can see we already have things under a grow light in the garage. Because uh, right about January 1, um, Chris pulled out his seed catalogs and his graph paper, and he started dreaming about his summer garden. And I will say, I will say this. The Haug family, uh, it, we're not great waiters I would say. Um, and so most days we're going out to see if anything is growing. And Chris more than once has come in and going, oh, it's so hard to wait. And I'm like, yeah, honey, I, well, why are you torturing yourself with a gardening hobby in January, right? I mean, pick up snowshoeing or something. Uh, but he loves it, and we're waiting. And you all, if you've been with us this year, have been waiting and waiting and finally we are here at the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I've really enjoyed, actually, how, how Pastor has taken us through a lot of setup in this series to get to this week, though, right? We, we've been asking that meta question of what it means to have a cultivated life rooted in the Spirit when there are so many distractions, right? And, and remember, he brought out the gardening hoe, and he reminded us that cultivation requires our work as opposed to that passive stimulation of the circus. And uh, we were pressed further yet to say, what is the primary source of our formation? Because it is to that which we will attach. And Jesus longs for us to attach to him, in him. And as we attach in Jesus, that sensitive and powerful spirit comes alongside and surges through us as a people, a life force that produces fruit. And we want more, right? And last week, we were challenged to long, to yearn, to pray for more of that. And I, I don't know about you, but I just love that Ephesians 3 prayer that we were in last week that Paul wrote to these churches. Uh, and you can, you can feel his visceral longing that they would just know more about this wild and extravagant dimension, right? That high, wide, long, deep love of God. And, and it made me think a little bit about our youngest daughter, Phoebe. She is seven. And Phoebe is still in this 
really delightfully affectionate stage. And so we have this routine every night at, at bedtime. She will grab me and she'll say, Mom, my love for you is so big. And she'll, uh, she actually made a picture of her great big love for me that you'll see here. And she also, in, in addition to this picture, she wrote a message that said, uh, I love you so, 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 so much. And uh, yeah, I, I just love it. She actually asked at Christmas for a, a pillow with my face on it. Um, <laughs> She didn't get it because we thought that was starting to cross the cute to creepy line. So, um, but, but you know, it, it's beautiful. And it just reminds me a little bit of this taste of that so big love of God that he longs to welcome us into. And if you were here last week, you remember pastor ha had a cup. I, I love this illustration, right? I brought a little planter to be on theme here. And the, you know, the idea isn't that we go to the ocean and, and we fill up our small cup, right, and we're filled. The idea is that mysteriously, the fullness of the ocean fits in here. That's the mystery, right? And if that's the case, then I don't know about you, but I don't want a small cup. I don't want a little guy like this, right? I want a big old planter that I can like swim around in, right? I can get into the dimensions of that love. Or if you're a Parks and Rec fan, maybe you know this one. Why settle for the little swallow when you can have the 512-ounce child size, right? And I just want more. And I hope and pray that you have found your own sense of longing for more increase in this month. And do you see what he was doing? Because my guess is, has it been a little hard to wait for this week? We're like, come on, let's get to the fruit of the Spirit. Has it been a little hard? You notice what he was doing, because as Pastor paced us through the series, he was pressing us to practice what was being preached, right? We had to slow down. We had to wait for it. We had to work for it and long for more. And I'm so excited to get to Galatians with you this morning, and that is where we're going to go now. If you'd like to pull out a Bible at home or in the room, and if you don't have one, that's fine. Just follow along. I know we're all in different places spiritually, and I want us to go to Galatians, and before we do, I want to remind us a little bit about the context, because it's never a great idea to take a single verse out of context without looking at the original um, audience it was written to and situation in which a letter was penned. And so we're going to look at Galatians. And there's a couple of views about the letter, but I think the strongest view is that Paul penned this letter to uh, a series of churches that were planted as he and Barnabas went out on their first missionary journey, which is captured in Acts chapters 13 and 14. So on kind of the maps, as you can see of this, you can see that kind of teal province of Galatia. And they came down through the island of Cyprus and up through the southern part of that province and planted new churches in places like Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, and then looped back again before returning. So these are places they know, they're invested in, they care about these new and freshly multi-ethnic church plants in this region. But what Paul learned was that shortly after this journey, 
Some folks had come down out of Jerusalem and were essentially retracing their steps and coming to these church communities and saying, you know, Paul had it mostly right. But in addition to what he shared, you really, you also need to be circumcised and follow the whole of the law of Moses and keep all of these outward signs of piety that are connected to our religion and our ethnic and national identity. And Paul is livid. He is livid, and he writes this letter in response. And he writes the letter with what one commentator describes as a white, hot urgency. And if you read through all of these six chapters, you'll feel it, because the letter is not quite as cleanly put together as some of his other texts. And a lot of ideas that he raises, or begins to raise in Galatians, he's going to actually return to later. And he's going to unpack more methodically and systematically in, say, the, the letter to the church at Rome. So you feel this white-hot urgency in his communication. And, and before we get to the text itself, I want to just say a little bit about white-hot urgency. Because we all know we live in a highly reactive time and climate right now. And, and I think it's so important to understand that sometimes a communicating with a sense of white-hot urgency when there is a clear gospel threat, as Paul did, is absolutely called for. But can I say in love that, that sometimes it is not? And I, I believe that as a people, we need to grow in our health, in maturity, in learning how to discern when is the right time to come with that white-hot urgency. And so let me give an example. I've, for as long as I've been a member of, of this church, many a Sunday, a, a teacher, pastor will get up front and, and teach, and at some point in the sermon, the teacher will say something, maybe at a sticky spot. They'll say, just email me. Send me an email. Here's my address. I don't know exactly how many emails come in on a Monday morning, but I know it's too many. And I wonder if we would just work at a couple key practices. One, before there's any kind of urgent communication, would we apply the word of the sermon we just heard? Would we pray about it? And would we ask a trusted member of the community who won't just tell us what we want to hear? And if at that point you still have a conviction, by all means, send the communication. Because if it's, if it's true, it'll still be true on Tuesday. But sometimes you apply the word, you pray, you check with your community, and you still have a deep conviction. Maybe like Paul, that there, there is a gospel threat. There's something that needs to be said. And... To give another example, if I might, I was imagining, you know, if Paul had gone on a missionary journey and planted the churches or churches in America, and I wonder if Paul had caught wind of this rising movement in the church that was conflating a, a religiously hyper-infused nationalism, right? And maybe we saw it on display at its most stark and disturbing relief on January 6th of this month. And if Paul saw images of a cross next to a lynching noose, and a Jesus saves flag flying by 
the flags of known white supremacist groups, I think Paul would have had a white, hot, urgent letter for the church. Because when there are gospel threats, they must be addressed. And many in this community are talking about those types of threat. I highly commend to you Ali's talk last week in the auditorium, and Mike spoke powerfully at the 610 service about uh, the temptation to conflate American dream and kingdom of God. And I appreciate when we discerningly address those things, as Paul did. And he was hot about this gospel threat. Because if you look at the Galatians text, go to chapter one with me. He barely has a perfunctory greeting before he writes this. Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And he goes on to write, but even if we, or an angel from heaven came and told you another gospel than the one we preached, may they be under God's curse. You hear it? He is fired up. This must be addressed because you see, Paul understood that in this moment, this wasn't just a little light legalism or a little gospel plus, this was a threat to the gospel. Because these folks who were known as Judaizers in the text were saying essentially, and particularly to non-Jewish converts, they were saying that Christ's death and resurrection is not sufficient. Instead, you must also add the outward expressions of piety that are in line with our religious, our ethnic, and our national identities. And Paul says, no. And for four chapters, he unpacks that and he pleads with them and he exhorts and corrects. And as the letter moves to its closure in chapter five, he begins to plead. Do you hear his love and affection? When in chapter five, verse one, he says, it's for freedom Christ set us free. Do you hear the us there? Us set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by what he vividly describes as a yoke of slavery. And in this letter, Paul addresses two kinds of burdens, actually, two yokes. And he already kind of named the one on this side, right? Think of it as one ditch they could fall into. The ditch of that kind of hyper-legalistic, the gospel, plus these outward expressions of their religious, ethnic, national identity, piety, right? That's over here. And he says that's going to lead to death. But he also says, if you look at verse 13, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So on the other hand, maybe to some of these Gentile, non-Jewish converts who are saying, no, I'm not getting circumcised, I'm not doing that thing, but I did kind of like some of my old cultural practices and ways of doing things, maybe some of my pagan temple worship stuff, and so I'm gonna go this way. And Paul says, no, that leads to acts of the flesh and death too, okay? Two ditches, both lead to death. And if you look at this verse, he vividly describes what that will lead to. Because he says there's another way 
He says, rather serve one another in love, but if you continue in these paths, the result is that you will bite and devour each other. He says, watch out or you'll be destroyed. The word is literally, you'll be consumed, you'll eat each other up. But there's a better way. He says, you can walk by the Spirit. He says, you can live by spirit. You can be in step with spirit. You can live and move and have your being in spirit. And that will lead to something far better. And that takes us to our core text in chapter 5, verse 22. As I've been in Galatians 5, I've really enjoyed having this overlaid with the John 15 image, if you've been with us, right? The gospel according to John, uh, where Jesus uses the image of God as the gardener and Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. And in those um, John accounts, Jesus describes the spirit as an advocate. And the Greek word used for advocate is paraclete, and that literally means to come alongside. So spirit is the alongsider. And I love it, you know, spirit wants to be right alongside us in this work of attaching. And yes, sensitive spirit won't advocate for or come alongside the acts of the flesh that lead to that consuming one another. But spirits, the alongsider, will gladly come alongside us to fuel our thriving and bearing of fruit. And I want to talk about that fruit. You see, in the auditorium, some of you maybe have been listening to messages in both rooms. They've been using the image of a tree. Right, and love in that list is kind of a, a capstone word. And so if the tree is love, then all of these variety of fruit adorn the tree. Joy, peace, patience. And it reminded me of this story I heard about a botanist who had found a way to graft up to 40 varieties of different fruit and even nut to a single tree. And it would look something like this. Can you imagine the vivid, like the blossoms and the abundant variety of fruit, right? It's a beautiful image. But I wanna invite us to actually think a little bit differently this morning. Because look at that text in Galatians 5.22. Notice what it says. It says, the fruit of the spirit. Do you notice that it's singular? It's not fruits, it's fruit of the Spirit. And I, I thought about this a little bit um, because sometimes I think we, um, we don't quite have language to capture what we want to say. And there, there's a great book I commend uh, to you by Richards and O'Brien, it's called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. It's important to have tools like this that help us recognize some of the lenses we bring in reading and interpreting scripture. And they highlight that for Western readers in particular, uh, we typically believe that if something's important, we're gonna have a word for it. We're gonna have a word for it. And the more important something is in a culture, often the more words we have. So the example that they use is, is that in some Muslim background countries where you don't eat pork, there's a single word for pig. And 
In English, in our context, the Midwest, we have pigs, right? And when it's slaughtered, we have pork. And on a plate, we've got ribs and loin and bacon and sausage and all kinds of words, right? Because it's something that matters in our context, in our culture. And uh, often, you know, it's interesting. Kevin reminded us last week that in the Greek text, there are four distinct words for types of love. Do you remember that? I always wonder, like, what does it say that in English we have a single word that is used to describe my relationship with my spouse and pizza? What might that say? But you see, sometimes, too, we just realize that words aren't adequate. You know, you can't quite find the right word to describe what you're trying to say. And the authors here contend that that isn't merely an English problem. Paul struggles for a Greek word to describe the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And he describes it as a love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control kind of fruit. Paul is not giving us a list of various fruits from which we may pick a few, but rather he gives us a list of words that circle around the one character of a spirit-filled life that he is trying to describe. Isn't that fascinating? One fruit. This list of dimension, flavor, meant to capture its nature. I really enjoy, um, last year we used Tim Keller's book, Galatians for You, as we thought about these flavors and dimensions of the fruit. And as you're considering kind of the nature of the fruit, the dimension and flavor of it being produced in us, I want you to hear how Keller describes the qualities and flavors of this fruit. So to love, is to serve for one another's good and intrinsic value, not for what the other brings you. Joy is a delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Peace is confidence and rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than your own. To face trouble without blowing up is patience. To serve others practically in ways that might make you vulnerable, is kindness and comes from having a deep inner security. To be good is to be the same person in every situation, not a phony or a hypocrite. To be reliable and true to your word is faithfulness. Gentleness is humility. And to pursue the important over the urgent rather than being impulsive is self-control. Don't you like the sound of that? For me, I I long for us to be described in those ways. And I wonder, is that the flavor? Are those the flavors we want to see come out in our homes and in our community? And I say we for a reason because often, uh, and it's appropriate to come and ask, you know, what is the nature of the fruit I and bearing in my life. But this text is written to a community of people that are invited to be rooted together in the spirit, that they together 
would bear the fruit of Christ's love to the world. And so we ask, does this describe us? And we're going to reflect on that in our two minutes of listening in just a moment. But before, I just want to say one more thing. Because if you're like me, these are compelling descriptions. And I want it to be true of us and and myself. But often I wonder, do I want the produce more than the person? Like, do I want the fruit of the Spirit more than the Spirit himself? And if I'm honest, sometimes I do. It's like Chris in his garden. I'm like, honey, that's your hobby. Just a reminder, I'm not weeding. I'm not canning, but I will eat what you bring in the house. Right? Your hobby. And as someone who I have the privilege of working in campus ministry around the Midwest, and I love hearing stories of how students and faculty are doing. And in fact, just this week, I heard some really great stories of students at William Penn University who are coming back to the semester and they are just fired up for their friends to know Jesus. They're ready to start Bible studies on, their, on the football team, the volleyball team, and they're ready for coaching and hungry. And I'm like, yeah, you know, start those studies, right? Get those, get those small groups going. And I, ha- I was prayer walking on campus over there this week and I thought, oh Lord, do I, do I want these programs started more than I want the students to really know you? Do I want the produce more than the person? Do I want that for others? So I just want us to be honest there as we consider. God has placed us in this time and place to be a people who are so attached to spirit that we bear that Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control kind of fruit. And so I want us to go to God. And we're going to go ahead and do our two minutes of listening right now. This has been a tradition in this series. And as you're willing at home or in this room, today I would ask you to actually close your eyes. If you're willing, would you close your eyes wherever you are? And I want to give you some imaginative prompts as you listen. I want you to imagine that you're in a lush garden. And God is there. Father God, the gardener. He's with you. And you come to an enormous tree. Gardener God takes you around to one side and points out a set of branches, and that represents third church. And as he points, you lean in, and you see a branch that is you. And as you look at that branch and those larger branches, in quiet, would you ask, Gardener God, what do you see What are the qualities of the fruit we are bearing? I am bearing. Let's listen together.
as you're able and willing, this is also our tradition, if you're at home, would you take a minute and just turn to someone in your household and share what you sensed or what you found yourself thinking about? And if in the room you can safely turn to someone or throw a mask on and, and cross um, to talk with someone for just a minute, share something that came up as you listened around those questions. Go for it. As you're wrapping up your, the thought you're sharing, I'll have the worship team rejoin us. Uh, I know that's not enough time, but continue to share, maybe caption a journal of what you heard in that listening. And I wanna give two simple applications. One is to continue to grow in our awareness, and the second is to continue to lean into prayer and longing for more. So the first one, I would encourage you, ask some people that you spend life with, you spend time with in the course of any given week, how do you experience me? What are just a, a few words or a phrase to describe how, how you experienced me in this moment or conversation? And I'll tell you what, I did this with my family to have integrity and I had a piece of paper they could write some words on to make a kind of a hyphenated description of how they experienced me and Here's what they said. They said, um, they described the fruit of my life as uh, encouraging, uh, imperfect, you try hard to be positive, awesome, exacting, big-hearted, aware, generous, patient, caring kind of fruit. So that's giving me some things to work on with the Lord, to bring to him, right? And secondly, I would encourage you to keep praying. And pastors talked about breath prayer as a discipline. I would encourage you to go to the Galatians text and maybe make a couple lists, right? All of the acts of the flesh and fruit of that way and all the fruits and descriptions of fruit of the spirit. And maybe just simply practice exhaling one and inhaling another. So you might exhale selfish ambition and inhale kindness. You might exhale fits of rage and inhale the flavor of patience. Let me pray for you as we end. Lord, might we be a people who are increasingly aware as you speak to us and as our community reflects back to us the flavor and dimension of the fruit we are bearing. We long to be attached to you, Spirit, deeply rooted that we might bear the fruit of your presence and life in us. May it be so by your grace. Amen.